All right, good morning again. We're going to be uh, continuing our series here in Luke, uh, all about authority and power today. Uh, before we get there, I want to kind of recap last week as well, uh, as we get this microphone set up. So last week we were also in Luke chapter 4, uh, spent some time there talking about opportunity in the wilderness. The wilderness as this kind of aired imagery of, of lostness, of hopelessness, but in Scripture time and time again, it, in fact, the wilderness was a place where God showed up. It was a place of opportunity. It was a place for things to happen. Uh, so we kind of walked away last week saying, for ourselves, the, the wilderness can be opportunity. And also to recognize that when Jesus went off to these places, he was led by the Spirit. He was fully, he had the entire power of the, the Holy Spirit with him as he went to these places. And we looked at our lives, and if we are baptized Christians, if we are people who believe Jesus is who he says he was, we have that same power living in us. And so for us, I think the, the hard part is realizing that power that we carry with us everywhere we go, realizing the, 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 the depth that the Holy Spirit gives to our life and allowing that to be what guides us, allowing that to be the thing that takes us into the wilderness and not be afraid, but to see that Jesus is always with us. And again, I apologize. My, my, my mouth hurts right now. <laughs> this just happened this morning. Uh, so you're going to have to bear with me this morning as, as I struggle through this this morning. Uh, but we're going to, like I said, continue on in chapter 4. But what's going to also continue along with us is this identity crisis. Last week we talked also about how Jesus... He had that, and two weeks prior, Leon talked about the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus has this hallmark moment, right, this freeze-frame moment where God says, you are my son, with you I am well pleased. And then he goes into the wilderness where Satan himself is saying, the, de the devil is saying, is it true that you are the son of God? Are you really the son of God? And then he goes to his hometown in Nazareth, and the people are saying, isn't that Joseph's son? And there's this identity crisis that is happening in chapter 4 that is going to continue to happen in chapter 4 with a little bit different flavor, right? But all this to say is that he's facing this adversity, all this adversity, while also identifying as the Son of God, identifying as an image bearer. And the hard part about that as we read this is that that's not just a Jesus problem. That's an us problem too. Not a problem, it's an opportunity, right? Uh, for us, as we are image bearers, as we are carrying the cross of Christ with us, we also have to think about our identity in this world. How are we going to face adverse situations while still carrying the cross, while still carrying the image of God everywhere we go? Jesus is going to kind of interact with that today. But Jesus separates himself from the other teachers. Jesus separates himself from everybody. Uh, but really the question I want to get to is... Uh, this whole idea of authority and power, what difference does power and authority make in life? Think about that for a second. What difference does power and authority make in life? We see it in the life of Jesus so far. We're going to see it as a theme throughout the entire gospel, this idea of authority as Jesus teaches. Wherever he goes, there's this authority that he brings. But kind of stepping back in our own lives, what difference does power and authority make in life? I think it makes a big difference. Right? I know plenty of us have probably come into situations where, for example, we, we go to a place and we park our car where we shouldn't park our car. And then someone says, hey, you can't park there. And then you say, what, what authority do you have to tell me that? Right? We want to get really defensive in that situation. You know, I know for my own kids, I have to be very careful if I tell one of my kids to tell my other child what to do. Right? 
hey, go tell your brother it's time for bed. Now you better tell him that I said that it's time for bed, not the command is coming from you to go to bed. You see what I'm saying, right? Because the next conversation is, well, you can't tell me what to do. You're my sibling. You can't tell me to pick up. No, dad told me to tell you to pick up your trash or to pick up whatever or go to bed, whatever it might be. But there's that struggle that my kids have when they're talking to each other because we're the same, you and me. We're siblings. And it extends far beyond just siblings or family, but in life, too. We have a struggle sometimes with power and authority. Some of us more than others, maybe, struggle with authority. I know for me, the the difficult part for me is that when I've had bad bosses in the past, or I've shared with you about my restaurant experience where some of my fellow wait staff is promoted to front of house management and they didn't deserve it and it was really, really tough to listen to their orders, right? Because there's that imbalance that takes place. When you have this power and authority, there is inherently an imbalance of power and authority because somebody has to be in charge. That's totally fine. But sometimes we struggle with that imbalance more than others. You see what I'm saying? We struggle with the, the imbalance of it all. We don't want to take orders from that specific person because they don't have any control or any clue what's going on, actually, right? We have this narrative that we want to play in our minds. And actually, in our young adults class the past couple weeks, we've talked about this a little bit, about how we see ourselves. This morning we talked about pride and how it's, Pride is kind of like the gateway to all other sins in our life, it seems like. And really what I'm getting to is that this imbalance, this cycle comes back to this kind of thought or this reaction is, you think you're really better than me? You think that you're better than me. What makes you better than me? And it's, maybe sometimes it's a rational you know, sentence to say, but a lot of times it's irrational. They probably aren't thinking that, but you place that on yourself to say, what makes you better than me? This imbalance of power and authority makes us think crazy things. But when it comes to Jesus, we're going to see people think some crazy things, right? We saw last week. We're going to see that a little bit here, too. Uh, but Jesus, when he comes into a town and when he starts to teach, he's immediately different, right? And last week we saw this. He goes to his hometown. He's reading from the scroll of, of Isaiah. And then he says this, Jesus returned to Galilee. Wait, this is actually prior to that, but this is what's going on, okay? Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. So whenever he got into a place, his teaching was just engaging, Right? His teaching made people think completely different about the things they've probably heard their entire life for generation and generation. Jesus is just different. But what makes him different kind of frustrates people from time to time. Right? This is, like I said before this, he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, and then he says this, he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's a bold move, Jesus. Very, very bold. It's one of those things where I, I would never feel the, the power or authority to say that because it's not true about me. Because Jesus, he gets up here and he reads from Isaiah and he's saying, guess what? All this thing that you're hearing right now for hundreds and hundreds of and all these generations of people have been talking about this coming true. Guess what? You're lucky enough to see it today. Can you? I just want you to feel like you're in the room a little bit. That's bold. But really what it is, is authority. He has the authority to say these things because they are true, right? He's not making anything up. It's so bold and it's so kind of captivating because that's not true for us. But when Jesus enters a room, not only is he engaging, but he's saying truth with authority. 
And it makes people kind of trip up a little bit from time to time, right? And what's so different about this is that Jesus taught in a way that was way different than any other rabbi or teacher would teach at this time. Because right here, Jesus is kind of saying, point, you know, period, it, it ends with me, right? Or it really starts with me. I'm fulfilling these things, right? But when rabbis would teach, a lot of times they would try to note every other rabbi they could possibly say to give themselves more authority and credibility, right? Rabbi so-and-so says this, and rabbi so-and-so said this, and rabbi so-and-so, you get the picture, right? The more rabbis or the more teachers that you could say, the more credible your argument or your theory or whatever it might be is in being true. It's not different from what our students do today. I know plenty of us have probably written bibliographies. Wait for it. Okay, good. All right, it's a long word. Written bibliographies for different assignments, right? I need 15 different sources to say that this thing that I'm saying is true because these smart people said it, now I'm saying it, you know it's true because they said so, right? We've all done this. I even had a golf, uh, one of my, the girls on my golf team, she said that she had to write a paper and all the sources had to be less than five years old. Man, that's tough, right? You can't use Wikipedia, you can't use all these other things, right? You need to have these credible sources saying what you are saying is true. Not different from what the rabbis would do, right? Rabbi so-and-so, rabbi so-and-so. All these different people for a long time have said what I'm saying, so it has to be true. Now kind of take all that knowledge and see what Jesus is saying. His sermons are probably a whole lot shorter, right? Because he doesn't have to quote or uh, um, annotate right? His, 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 what he's saying every single time he says it. This is fulfilled in your hearing. Done. That's boldness, that's all these things, that's truth, but really what it is, is authority. So I'm going to read this again. I want to get back into this place, this whole thing that we've been talking about, this identity struggle that he's going through. All these things kind of comes to this place where he's teaching, and then this happens. Then he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. In the synagogue there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit, he cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What did you do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? What do you want to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the demon threw the man down before them and all came out without, in, in, excuse me, and came out without injuring him. All the people were amazed and said to each other, What words these are? With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out, and the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. People are amazed by his teaching. Did you catch that at the very beginning right there? They're amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he spoke as someone with authority. But then he gets interrupted. Things are going well. I wonder how the discussion's going. Maybe people are just, man, this is so totally different. I'm learning so much from this teacher. And then this Impure spirit had to ruin stuff, right? And what's so interesting is we circle back to this whole thing of identity. People are probably asking questions. Who is this guy, right? Who is this teacher? He speaks with such authority. And then his identity is revealed to everybody. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And it's not someone who's hearing the words he's saying who says this, right? Who is it? It's that impure spirit. Man, you're interrupting my flow here a little bit. I had some stuff going with these people. I, I had them captivated by these words, this boldness that I'm speaking with. And then all of a sudden the narrative changes a little bit. So remember, as he's speaking, the people are you know, encouraged by his words. 
this impure spirit says this, and then we have a different perspective on Jesus. Continuing here in verse 38. So Jesus left the synagogue to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laid his hands on each one, and he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So Jesus can't kind of get his own space. <laughs> right? Once he does this act here where he is teaching and then he rebukes this impure spirit, people are not going to leave him alone. He goes from the synagogue and he heals Simon's wife, or mother-in-law and then he goes out and he's trying to, to, to go to a solitary place and people keep bringing him sick people. People keep bringing impure spirits to him. All the while, Jesus is healing them and he's rebuking the spirits and he's doing the Jesus stuff that he typically does, right? But then again, we have the impure spirits correctly identifying Jesus. You are the Son of God. It's so interesting, right? It's so interesting that we have identity crisis here happening in chapter 4 of, of Luke where people are questioning, isn't this Joseph's son? The devil is saying, are you really the Son of God? And then here we have the impure spirit saying, you are the Son of God. All this stuff kind of comes together. But Jesus wants to reiterate why he came to earth in the first place. This is the bottom line for Jesus. I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also because that is why I was sent. Like you're going to bring me sick people and I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But those miracles are not you know, an end to themselves, right? Jesus never performed a miracle for the sake of performing miracles. Because guess what? Miracles do not uh, there's not a guarantee of discipleship, right? Plenty of people saw miracles. I've heard plenty of people in my life, if I could have just seen a miracle, then I definitely would have believed in Jesus. You probably wouldn't have. Miracles are just signs pointing to what God is going to eventually do for everything. This restoration that is going to take place. Jesus is teaching while he's doing miracles, but people are like, I want the miracles, please. <laughs> I want that part of you. Can I get a little bit of that and I'll be on my way? We're going to see that time and time again in the life of Jesus. But that is why it is important to know why Jesus came. Because we can get caught up in the miracles, we can get caught up in what he's doing day to day, but the why is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. That is why he came. Now, people are going to come to him. People are going to always kind of be on his case. That's why he has to go off to solitary places all the time. Right? His disciples always have to go find him because he has to have that time with the Father to recharge because people need Jesus all the time. But people continue to persist. People continue to go to him. But all these miracles are not all the power of God, is what I'm trying to, trying to communicate this morning, is that the miracles are, are not an end to themselves. They are not the thing that is going to make people know God. It is the teaching, it is the message, it is what Jesus is doing through the miracles, through the teaching, that is going to get people to know who God is. It's not just the miracles. 
The miracles are just a glimpse of what is to come. So the question I kind of want to sit with for a little bit is, how does this tell us about the authority and the power of the kingdom of God? Because we saw here is that the narrative did shift when Jesus was, was here preaching and doing these things here in Luke chapter 4. People were amazed by his teaching. He speaks as someone with authority. And then all of a sudden, everything shifted from the message to what he was doing, right? And not that the doing was bad by any means. The doing was obviously what God you know, intended for him to do while he was on earth. But people get so distracted by that, and I think we can as well. That the message, the reason why Jesus came was to proclaim the kingdom of God here on earth. So the question is, what does this tell us about the authority and the power of the kingdom of God? What does this life of Jesus that we just read about tell us about the authority and the power and the kingdom of God? So it's a little bit different this morning. The first part is what I think it's telling us, but the second part is a question that I want you to sit with, okay? I want you to really wrestle with this this morning. This message has the power to convict people. The message that Jesus is preaching here in Luke chapter 4 has the power to convict people, and it is still convicting people today. But the question that I want you to sit with is, am I convicted in my faith? Be honest with yourself. Am I convicted in my faith? Am I allowing this gospel message to be the same authority that Jesus preached and spoke about when he was walking on earth? Because that is what he was sent to do. And people were impacted by that. People's lives were changed by that. We can go time and time again where people hear the word and they change because of it. Guys, I I don't think we realize the power of the message that Jesus is preaching. There is a reason why people said this guy is different. He speaks with authority because what he says is true, and that truth is lived out by his life, not just his words. That power of that message convicts people. Are we still convicted by that today? Like, be honest with yourself. I keep saying that because I want you to think critically about this. A lot of us have probably been going to church for a very long time. Are we numb to the message of the gospel? I hope not, but maybe we are. The gospel has the power to set people free, but for some reason we like to overcomplicate things. We like to make it about little things rather than the thing. Right? Jesus, like I said before, he's not just doing miracles for the sake of doing miracles. He's not just telling parables for the sake of telling parables. It's all about telling about the kingdom of God. That gospel message still has power, but do we allow it to have power in our own life? Are we still convicted? Are we still convicted to repent and turn away from things that we shouldn't be doing? I don't know. But that's the question I want you to sit with this morning. Am I convicted of this message still today? The second thing is this. The power of the kingdom changes the world and the people in it. Am I willing to be changed by Jesus? So the first part is saying, yes, agreeing to the fact that, yes, the overall message of the gospel, amen, it is a powerful message. Fantastic. I'm convicted by it. It is truth. And he spoke with authority. Fantastic. But (laughs) if it's just that, then it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Are you willing to be changed by Jesus? That's the part where it gets more personal. Because I think we can all affirm the fact that the power of the gospel is evident around us. We can say amen and we can just move on and that's fantastic. But are you personally willing to be changed by Jesus? That's where it becomes more difficult. That's where you might be the people who are 
in the synagogue there in Nazareth who when Jesus challenges them, we want to march Jesus up to this hill and throw him off it. Because what he's saying is going against everything I believe in. It's going against everything that, I've, that my grandparents, grandparents, grandparents have been talking about for a very long time. He's different. I am not going to be changed by that man. Or are you willing to be changed? A lot of times people say that you, that you can't change. I disagree with that completely. There's parts of us, obviously, that are ourselves that we struggle with and that, that, that are really good about us that we don't want to change. But Jesus has the power to change everything. If he's able to reverse death, he can reverse you, right? He can change you from the person that you are that is far from God into a person that is striving to be more like Christ. The power of the kingdom has the ability to change the people in this world. Are we willing to change? There's an inherent need that whenever Jesus comes to a place that people want to gravitate towards him. Whether they, they have sick people or, or people who have these impure spirits, whatever they might be, they just want to go towards him. I think that's still true today. I think that if we allowed ourselves to be, for that message to be true in our lives, we'd see it completely different in our lives as well. People will be drawn to you because you believe and you're willing to be changed by Jesus because of his authority, because of his power, because at the end of the day, we can't do it on our own. So what am I going to do about it? If, I, if I'm saying, yes, I affirm that the gospel is a powerful message. Yes, I want to be changed by Jesus. I think we have to land here. We need to redefine authority and power in our lives because like I said, some of us struggle with this a little bit more than others. I'm not going to submit to anybody in this world. I'm not going to surrender to anybody. I am my own person. I am my own man or woman. I am not going to surrender to anyone. We have this kind of gall or pride that says, I can do things on my own. I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. Guess what? That's impossible. It is physically impossible for you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Try it. I just think that we have a very, very difficult time submitting and surrendering ourselves to the authority and the power of Jesus. And so in order for us to do that, we need to redefine what actual authority looks like, what actual power looks like. It's not church leadership. It's not your boss. It's not whoever in your life has authority and power in different sectors of your life. It is true and authentic authority that we're talking about this morning, true and authentic power. The reason why people were impressed or amazed by Jesus' teaching is because what he said was truth. Absolute truth. He is the image of the invisible God, as Colossians 1.15 says, right? He is the mouthpiece for God himself here in the flesh. He redefines everything completely. And we need to do that too. We need to witness to the fact that Jesus is the ultimate authority and power in our lives. And that's going to be a struggle. That's going to be something that's going to take time. But I think that in order for us to surrender to Jesus, we need to realize that he's worthy of surrendering too. He's not going to, you know, leave us alone. He, he promised he never would. He's not going to throw us aside. He's going to be the only thing that is substantial or that's going to sustain anything for the rest of eternity. True authority, true power lies in the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus? Are you willing to redefine how you see that in your life? Are you willing to submit to that in your life?
Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for um, just this this time to think about the, these things, authority and power and how we struggle with that. We, we don't want to surrender to anybody. We don't want to be told what to do. We like to think of ourselves as individuals. Uh, but God, when we take on your... When we take on you in baptism, that all changes. And I'm having a hard time formulating words right now because it goes against my own human nature. It goes against what I really want. I, I want to be on my own. I want to just you know, say that I have everything figured out. But the truth is that that is not true. That is far from reality. Help us to be okay with that. Help us to be less prideful and allow ourselves to recognize the authority and power that you have on everything. To Jesus, let me pray. Amen. And if you're struggling this morning with that, we want to offer you assistance. If you have any needs at all, we want to offer you assistance. But we are collectively, again, trying to say we are submitting to the love and the power of Christ, but we don't have it all figured out just yet. We never will have it all figured out until we are with him forever. But it's a part of the process, and we want to invite you along in that process. If you have any needs at all, won't you come forward as we stand and sing?